The Phillies have won a game. Let the mass panic end. The Phillies have won a game. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher and a very special guest today. One 2008 world champion Philly, Mr. Chad Durbin. Chad, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's much better. We set this up. It's much better that we, we did this after a win, right? Yeah, absolutely. 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 I think some, some panic had set in. You know, the Phillies were going to go 0 and 162. Now, after a nice win against the Yankees, number five starter, Matt Strom steps up pretty big and takes the Phillies to a victory. So th- things are a lot easier uh, after a win. That's absolutely for for sure. So, well, Chad is launching a new podcast, Derbs on Phillies, and so we thought it'd be a great time to to have you on and get you in the habit of talking Phillies. <laughs> so, uh, and you got to do that a little bit last year. So, uh, you, you got to hang out in the broadcast booth for a number of games last year. I thought you did a pretty good job. What was that like? Uh, I did a great job. <laughs> no, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, truth truth of it all is, Kevin Stocker's been doing this for a decade. He's good at it. He he fits kind of that '93 mold, you know, with with you know Crook and all those guys and uh, L.A. And uh, I think it was you know if L.A. didn't want to do as many games as he's going to do this year, I think being in the playoffs got him excited. Uh, I think I'd be back in the booth, and um, you know, opportunities like this with uh, the Derbs on pod- podcast wouldn't have happened. Uh, and and I think this is a good route for me, and I am I'll, I think I'm doing a couple series this year to fill in stocker has a, a, a kid that's graduating high school and I'll go fill in, um, in Colorado, uh, I think, uh, around that mother's day weekend time. But yeah, I had fun in the booth, man. Fransky's really good at his job. It's not like you have to do much. I, I honestly feel like he needs someone else that is, is a lot like him that could just do play by play for three innings and let him do color, mm. you know, which he is, is, he's the rare. He could do, it feels like he could do color. He's rare like that. He's fantastic at it. He just hasn't gotten the chance because of kind of the the, the setup. It's almost a TV setup on the radio in Philly, right. which is understandable with the huge market that we have. So anyway, I had a blast. It was fun to get in front of the team from that perspective. I've never watched games from, you know, a, almost a scout's perspective. I guess I put that hat on uh, from a general manager, assistant general manager, front office type setup. And watching the game from from that angle is definitely a different perspective. It helped me understand how important certain aspects of the game are and, and how, you know, we overlook some things, uh, you know, from the field. And it, it, the closer you get to the field, the faster everything moves. It's hard to, you know, even explain that to someone who watches games uh, on TV or, or in the stands, when you get close to those white lines, everything speeds up and your focus changes. But when you step back and you're trying to analyze the game and explain the game to people that are listening and, and people that want the insights and want to understand why someone just did what they did, like that was a really cool experience for me. It helped me kind of step back and, and appreciate the game in a different way, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. Now, did you expect yourself ever to go into broadcasting? So I know that last year, as you kind of said, Stocker had had the experience. He was, I guess, I guess it's a way of saying he was the polished broadcaster at that point. Uh, but did you anticipate that at all ahead of time? Like, how did that come to be? Well, I had uh, I have quite a good network of people that have been pounding me about it uh, since I retired. Even in the last couple of years that I played, I think. Uh, a combination of MLB Network coming into the fray and us doing the pen, 
being in Philly where, you know, obviously we have some excellent beat writers and reporters and, um, you know, broadcasters of our own and just being around them and them saying, Hey, have you thought about, you know, what you're going to do when you're done? And, and at the time when I retired in 2013, uh, 25 days after I, uh, you know, essentially stepped away, Ruben Amaro and I talked, he's like, you have a baby do, right? And I was like, yeah. And, and, and right now I stink, you know, at pitching. Um, so maybe we take a little break. He's like, have you, you know, just go home. I had a 15 month old, a newborn and a six year old. And thinking about what you're going to do in the next year or two at that point, and it's just, you're drinking from the fire hose and all that. But I did have um, guys, LSU, I'm, I'm from Baton Rouge. Uh, so LSU is a big market here. I mean, it's not a big market. It's 250,000 people, but it is, the penetration is, is substantial. I mean, it is a fan base just like Philly. And it's one of the reasons I think I did well in Philly. I, I get home and I dog cuss 19 year olds for throwing pick sixes. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I can't handle it. I'm like, well, how does this guy get recruited? What's going on here? It's the same thing. So I understood when I had bad games, you know, what the fan base was looking at. They're like, yeah, I'm booing this guy because he stinks. And I was like, yeah, I stunk today. So, so what? So I, I did relate to that. I think being in Philly, being successful with the team, maybe not me all the time, but the team was successful. There was some penetration there too. So I really enjoyed uh, the, 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 the process, the process of it and the mechanics of it last year were really what I was most curious about. And I wanted to, this year I was, I mean, I was going to be selfish if I'm doing radio I was going to get in the TV truck a day early, see what production is all about, see what they're asked, what they're, what, who's in whose ear, talking about what, what graphics are, are going to be thrown up in the next inning. What are we going to talk about? Like all of that was really interesting to me. I just want to understand the mechanics of it. It's why I'm bootstrapping this podcast to start out. I want to understand all of the aspects of it from, you know, extrapolating a, a sound bite and, you know, throwing it into an app and getting the words on the screen. I, I want to do it all myself. And then, yeah, when you send it to post-production to somebody else, that's a lot better at it than me. At least I understand their strife, like the problems that they're dealing with when I send them something and say, hey, thanks. You know, it, it's completely different than doing the production yourself. So I can't say that I'm going to be really good at that side of it, but I will be able to work with someone or a group a whole lot better doing that. So that 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 part of it, I know I'm diatribing right now, but that was really what I learned last year is that I really did enjoy being in the booth. I did enjoy the process of the homework beforehand, um, the follow-up homework afterwards, trying to get stories because stories, the baseball sports in general, the stories are better than the actual play on the field. Sometimes the play on the field is highlighted by the story mm -hmm. and that is what I watch sports for. Yeah. It locked women's basketball because the storylines were great. You Absolutely. know I mean? I can't say that I like sitting and watching women's basketball all the time, but I do love basketball and I enjoyed the heck out of Caitlin Clark versus LSU versus the world. I mean, it was just kind of a fun, it's going to be, it's over quick. You know, it's like we turn the page and other sports come up, but yeah, that was a, a very interesting, um, you know, little slice of, uh, of, of sports for a minute. And you're also bringing a light, Chad, that there is, uh, as you've probably learned, there is so much that is involved, whether it's a TV or a radio production, even a podcast, which, which you're doing now, but um, that the common fan probably doesn't realize all the behind the scenes stuff from the fact checkers to the stat analysts to the lookouts to, you know, the graphics guys for TV pointing which camera angle. There's a, th a million things involved that it's hard to even just only focused on one thing, but you get a great education when you have the opportunity to do that. And then of course you get to see through, like you said, you get to see the, the team 
through a different set of eyes, like a scouting set of eyes. So let's let's sort of talk about the Phillies here through four games. Um, one of the things that I think probably bothered me the most, because I, I, I've been running around telling everybody I know that the 2021 World Series champion Braves started off 0-4. So everybody relax, no big deal. But the one thing you want to see is – I guess smart bit. Uh, if you lose three to two or, or seven to six, fine. That's okay. It happens. But I thought, I think for the start here, we haven't seen always the smartest brand of baseball from a veteran team, whether it goes back to Brandon Marsh's base running or the error in center field. Alec Bohm had some struggles again at third base. Um, Marte, the reliever comes in, you know, you fall behind three balls on a guy and you're still throwing breaking balls and walking guys when that's a fastball situation for most. So, when you look at the first four games so far, what has stood out to you? Have you, have, has, have you felt that it's just atypically bad baseball from a veteran team? A little bit. Uh, you know, I don't like watching a baseball game and thinking about changing changing the channel. Uh, you know, and, and <laughs> I can't say I know I'm not the only one. You, know, you just get to the point where you're like, man, if we can't get a guy over, get a guy in, right. you know, lay, you know, block a ball in center field so it doesn't get by you. Uh, I mean, but in, in, in the same thought, though, I think things like that have to happen in the World Series hangover to wake you up. It's big league baseball. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Certainly not the Yankees. You know, they don't care. They hope you come in there limping. And the Rangers and Bruce Bochy, like Bruce changes that team. You know, DeGrom wasn't even good, you know, and but – the feeling there was a lot different. Yeah, we didn't play well, but you watch the Rangers aren't going to win the West. I don't think that's going to happen. The Astros and the Mariners, all you know, they're all really good, and the Angels are going to be somebody you have to deal with. But they're a much better team, and and, and I think Bruce has been in those World Series moments. So he bounced. He's like, hey, we can jump on these guys. You know, they've got all the hoopla and everything. They're thinking about the home opener and rings and all this different mm-hmm. stuff, and let's jump them. Right. And in some ways that happened. And I think they, you know, you go 0-3, you know, you, the different questions are asked in the clubhouse when you're at your locker and you're 0-3 after winning a World Series versus the, you know, the other way. And then when we think about going to, it's not like the Yankees were going to back off at all. You know, I'm thinking about today. I mean, you got, you know, if you lose yesterday, you got Garrett Cole, mm-hmm. you know, who I think the pitch clock speeding everything up helps. Because he looks like a really, um, you know, he's a kid that, you know, I say kid, he's not that young, but he's he's a thinker. Like, he mm-hmm. is putting a lot of time and effort into his preparation. If he thinks too much, it's almost a good thing. Well, he doesn't have the chance to do that now. So, I think about the way they play. Yesterday was big for me. Who was going to step up was my biggest question. Who is going to calm the Phillies down and do the right thing, you know, in, in certain moments? And And it was Schwarber, you know. Getting us off to a lead, boom, he hits a home run. We get a shutdown inning, you know, shutdown innings to me, getting a zero after a one, two, three, or four run inning is huge, especially when your team's not playing that well. You're not able to go out and, you know, do the damage that you do uh, during the regular uh, part of the season that the Phillies are going to do. But that was a big moment for me. Uh, Pastrami getting out there and, and doing his job, getting those shutdown innings. Uh, I didn't think he was going to get four innings with 60 pitches. I was pleased to see it. The pen did a great job. So when you think about who stepped up and, and why it was so important, it was it was a couple veterans. Uh, you know, I think Trey Turner gave himself up in a couple at-bats 
to get the job done. It, he wasn't looking to do damage and he can do damage. We can see that. Um, you know, but that was, that was what I was looking for. And then the pen going out and getting shut down innings, uh, Bilotti specifically, we get a two mm-hmm. spot to get a four run lead and he goes out and faces three hitters and it's over. That was big. So yeah, that's always what I look for. Uh, a lot of times, and this is kind of strange. I'll go back to what we were talking about with the booth. I can look in the dugout differently to see, you know, the energy in the dugout, who's reacting to who and, and why, you know, why a certain pen, uh, a member, a guy out of the bullpen matters a little more to the team. You can see the reaction from the players when they're on the top step and they get it versus they're just sitting down and that guy just went and did, you know, you know, what he always does. I don't know. There's just a reaction to me. I think players react to players and there's momentum, but that was a, it was who's, who was going to step up. And we had some guys really step up. So you mentioned the idea of a World Series hangover. Now you've had two different uh, World Series you played in back to back. How did you and your team combat that World Series hangover? It's almost you'd almost don't remember the first couple games because the media. Uh, I guess you know I I was part of one in '06, but I really wasn't. I was just a reserve on the roster with the Tigers, so I got to watch it kind of step back and, and from afar. And the way Jim Leland handled everything was he dialed things in the last couple of weeks of spring um, because he's been in that, that world before. But he's like, we got to come out of the gates firing on all cylinders. They're all going to be shooting for us. I mean, he just kind of made us the villain um, for a minute and it, and it kind of worked. And you know, I think Charlie tried, but you almost had to re- you almost had to rest guys a little longer than you wanted to as a you know, Doobie was trying to do the best as our pitching coach. Hey, hey, the pen guys got worn out. How do we give them some rest? Maybe they're not good in the first couple of weeks, but they're going to be good the rest of the season. Uh, you know, the starters, maybe we don't stretch them out as early. And I think that's where it, whether it's a mentality, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, I think it's all three. And physically, you're just, you know, you maybe didn't have the same off season, the same routine. Nothing is routine until you get to about the third or fourth series, your home opener has been played, and then you can go about your normal process of business. And I liked, yeah, once it settles in, I, I was happy. I was happy to go through my routine and, and your routine is part of other people's routines too. Whether it's who you sit with at lunch before you go watch film, who you're in the gym with, you know, none of that happens when you're the World Series champs or you're the runner-up. Mm-hmm. Everything is, hey, you've got to go meet with, a, you know, media at 210. Well, that's right in the middle of when I have my hitting routine. Well, who cares? You know, you got to go do media. And so once that all kind of dissipates and, and you settle in, I think, think, you know, that's when you see teams get back to playing the way that they normally play. You talked about the pitch clock um, as it pertained to maybe Garrett Cole, right? And I, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Bryce Harper was on um, – ESPN the other night they interviewed him during the the game and he sort of made a, a remark about you know we, the, the guys want our game back and that maybe this thing is up for up for some review uh, which I think Rob Manfred has said it's you know it doesn't have to be concrete it can be looked at but um, do you feel like that Aaron Nola who tends to be a little bit more habitual might be impacted by this more negatively or, or any of the, the other Phillies pitchers might have to adjust a little bit more on the fly now? Well, I think one thing, uh, Bryce doing an interview, he looked irritated, didn't he? Just a little <laughs> over it. And uh, <laughs> when you choose to interview a superstar on the IL, the competitive nature, he's just, I don't really want to talk to these guys, but I'll do it. 
because he gets it and he's he's great. But yeah, I, I thought about that. I was kind of laughing to myself, looking at him. I was like, I, I know what I was like to everybody in my family and everybody I cared about while I was hurt. Tommy John surgery coming back. I was, I was a dick. I wasn't nice. I was, I was rough to be around. So I'm sure Bryce is a whole lot better off because he's making a lot more money. He's compensated better, but him saying he want, they want the game back. I think that's a little bit of an overreaction in my opinion. You know, everybody's adjusting at the same time. I don't think it changes the game, you know, as much as maybe it will in the first couple of weeks. Uh, and as, as it pertains to Aaron, Aaron Nola is routine based, man. He is, but he's been doing the same thing since he was in college and even when he they deviated from it in his first couple of years, he came up with a sore elbow, not pitching well. And when he got back into his routine, Aaron was Aaron. He was really good and and, and is consistent uh, of all the pitchers in the league that have been consistent over the course of the last six, seven years. He's one of them, one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball. So but he, he has adjusted. We really think about when he came into the league. I mean, he's had three, four five different pitching coaches. He's had different managers. He's had he's had to adjust to other things. He's a he's he's a you know intelligent, hardworking player. He's going to adjust. I think I talked about it on on you know one of my first podcasts after the first couple games. I think that the trainings, you know, your your conditioning is different. That you know when you're throwing a max effort pitch every ten to twelve seconds, and you're used to doing it every fifteen to twenty or even longer, those periods of time, those intervals change the way that you can go grab energy and you have to train differently. You might have to eat differently. You might have to, I mean, all of it is connected. And I think you saw it wear out. I mean, JT did, you know, in his interviews, like I was out of breath trying to catch him. And I think they're all going to adjust. You're going to see the max effort back end of the the bullpen guys kind of run out of gas a little sooner coming back out for a second inning in, in eight second intervals, isn't going to work out as well as it has in the past. So cause and effect. Uh, I do think that Rob Manfred emailed him uh, yesterday, actually, just to go back and forth and, and ask some questions just so I could bring in information I've gotten from the source, um, you know, to the podcast. But yeah, I think a lot of it is really good. I love seeing guys, you know, some of the new rules changes. I know we're kind of, you know, skipping over the pitch clock if I do that. But pitch clock specifically, I think it does speed up the game. I I, I don't like watching guys take 25, 30 seconds between pitches. You know, I've got a phone that goes off. I've got, you know, food in the fridge. I, I don't – I might get distracted, you know. I'm less distracted when guys are getting the ball back and looking in and and, and calling pitches. I, I did talk about this too, man, and, and tell me what you all think. Uh JT Real Muto becomes a, a a much more important catcher when you don't have the time between pitches to communicate with your staff on, on the bench. You know, uh, the analytics department doesn't get to throw the binder at somebody when you when you're in eight second intervals. It is, hey, he was late on this pitch, or I can see that our game plan isn't what it. Sh- you know, we can't execute on that because because they're going to steal a base or do a hit and run, and it's a little different than it has been in the past. This guy's spread out, choked up with one strike. We shouldn't do what we plan to do because he's going to get it done. He's going to ground. He's going to hit a ground ball to the right side, get a guy over. It's going to look a lot more like St. Louis Cardinals 1980s baseball, which is a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So those are my opinions. Tell me what you think there. I think there's, you know, I I don't think the analytics department, they're still going to play a huge role, but they can't impose their will on the game as much. It does feel like, Frank, right? It does feel sort of like the the catcher and maybe the pitcher along with that becomes sort of like the quarterback in a two-minute drill where 
you're not, you know, the, you're not getting the play relayed in. You're not audible. Like you, you kind of have to speed it up yourself and mentally be two steps ahead on every play. And you have the autonomy now a little bit. I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out, but that's kind of what, what I was getting out of that. Just more autonomy on that end. Yeah. A couple of things I noticed early on is there's no time to replay the bad pitch that the umpire called a, a ball that was clearly a strike. So that the umpire's got to love it. And and also, secondly, the challenges, you know, the, there's less time for them to make a decision to, to challenge a play. So I think that's going to be interesting, too, or something's going to slip by uh, that they otherwise would have gotten corrected. Yeah, watching a couple broadcasts, speaking of the, the zone, a couple broadcasts don't put the little circle where the ball crossed. They just have the box up. So, you, you I mean, because it's really hard to tell on a good breaking ball whether it caught the edge or whether it was an inch out or whether, you know, you don't when, but the box is up there. So, you know, where the zone is and it just kind of, uh, I go on to the next pitch really quick instead of getting caught up with, mm-hmm. uh, CB Buckner being terrible. <laughs> That's probably best for everybody involved. <laughs> and then when angel gets behind the plate, same thing. <laughs> Uh, he is now retired, right? So I don't think we have to. Is he retired? Oh, that's yet? right. That's right. No, I thought he no, was. Still is he there. still around? Or maybe I was wishful. Maybe I was dreaming. I, I thought yeah. I saw him. I, know. I know Cowboy maybe Cowboy it, Joe is retired. Maybe he's maybe retired. Yeah. Yeah. His former uh, guy when they were together. Jeez. Anyway, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to make this all about the umpires. Uh, you know, you mentioned Chad earlier that uh, you were you were looking at the Phillies, saying, "All right, who's going to be the guy that steps up and breaks them out of this funk?" Well, very last minute, they lost Reese Hoskins. So I was just curious, uh, especially being around the team like you were, what kind of loss does that mean for the team? Maybe even not just on the batting line, but, you know, the players knowing they have that guy that can step up for them. I think it's an adjustment because it happened so late. And he's such an integral part of of the team in in the clubhouse, on the bus, on the plane, you know, for the media doing interviews. I mean, he's just he's a big piece. And I think you, it's like, you know, for, for our group, if, if a Ryan Howard or a Jimmy Rollins or a Chase Utley goes down, uh, it has an impact on the whole of the team. I mean, there's, you know, you're having to fill that gap with, I mean, yeah, we might get better defensively at first base, you know, it almost hurts to say that because you love Reese and Reese is such a big piece, but you know, the, the energy in the clubhouse, I mean, you walk by a locker with his Jersey hanging in it. Yeah, it's, he's not dead. He's hurt, but it does feel like a death of sorts because you're mourning a season without him. All the things that you thought were going to come, you know, 35 home runs and, you know, big moments, bat slams, all that stuff. It's, it's, you know, you mourn the death of it for a year and he's still around. It's not like he's not doing his rehab protocol in the clubhouse, but it's not the same as, you know, being in the trenches and having the blood on your uniform and all that stuff. And, uh, he is a, a big presence uh, of of stability and consistency for the team. And, you know, you lose those, you have plenty of guys, uh, you know, Schwarber is phenomenal in that, in that clubhouse. Everybody knows that you hear it, but when you see it and you see how he controls, you know, when, especially in Philly and some of these big markets he's been in, he, he just does a great job of controlling uh, and not in a bad way, but in a good way uh, the energy of the clubhouse. And I think Reese was a piece of that. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts. The production really hurts. Um, you know, he's a, a three-point shooter. When he gets hot, he gets hot. But when he when he's off, it's off for a little while. Uh, but, yeah, I think the good thing is, because you, you have to look at this team like it's going to make a two, three, four, five-year run at things because it's built to do that. And he, he's coming back. In the meantime, 
you got guys that are going to get a chance and opportunity because there's a problem. You replace the word problem with opportunity and immediately you're looking at guys that are going to get a chance to step up or from a front office standpoint, who do we go get to replace that? And now you have more chips, um, you know, to play with, you know, when it comes down to deadlines or making out lineups in September and October. Chad, I wanted to ask you from a, a pitching standpoint what your reaction was or, or what your first instinct was when you had heard about Andrew Painter's elbow being sore or inflamed in spring. I mean, it's been it's been about four or five weeks now, so I imagine he, he might start resuming throwing or, or getting retested pretty soon here. But what was your first reaction when you heard what he was going through? Well, I wanted to know what part of the elbow. I think it ended up being the proximal um, – you know, and, and not that there's a couple different parts of your elbow. You don't want to hurt. No, nobody wants your elbow to hurt at all, but there are um, flexor wad uh, areas of the elbow that, you know, indicate that there's going to be a longer term uh, uh, rehab. And this one was uh, the, the shorter version of it. His he's electric. He's 19. There is no reason whatsoever to hurry this process at all. You know, he's 99 miles an hour electric stuff he's going to be a huge piece of this and he can only be a huge piece of it if he's available and healthy and so if you've got to extend his timeline uh, a little bit longer because of uh, you know you have to anticipate that a 19 year old as focused as this kid might be is still 19 years old and he is not going to be as focused as Bryce Harper is in his rehab protocol so yeah red flags until I heard that it wasn't you know as, as bad a part of the elbow that was aggravated, uh, but man, it's the elbow and you just, you know, you know, you want to, you want to take as much time as humanly possible to make sure that he is a hundred percent. If that means that he's July, maybe August, what a good pickup that would be to have a guy who's 20 years old. I think he turns uh, 20 here in the next couple of days, he'll be 20 years old. And, and even if he's thrown out of the pen, you know, and not starting, I mean, I've seen that over the years and, uh, you can talk to the Brett Saberhagens and the David Cones from way back. They started out of the pen and then went to starting roles, and they said it helped them out a ton. I know it helped me. I wish my career would have been in reverse. I wish I had a relief before I started because I learned more in mm-hmm. handling the fact that you, if your routine gets screwed up, it's okay. It doesn't matter, you know, but you need routine. I think Painter's going to learn a lot, you know, during this rehab process, and maybe he gets a chance to be around the big league club a little more than he would have otherwise. Hope he's not stuck in clear water uh, in, in uh, purgatory. Um, Cause that's what it feels like. You don't feel like you have any value. You've always had value because you throw hard because you're an athlete. And all of a sudden all you're doing is showing up at 7 AM for some, you know, heat and some contrast and some STEM and you get frustrated. So hopefully he stays focused. I know he's got a good team of guys around him. So painters, painters, a stud, man, we need him um, to be healthy and, and be a piece of this next couple of years. Definitely. Well, before you go, Chad, I just have one funny, uh, quick Chad Durbin story to tell you. So I guess it was early 2013, and uh, I had a Philly sports website at the time. And uh, there was a gal who wrote for us, and she just happened to be searching on Twitter one day, like, hey, I wonder what Chad Durbin's up to. I haven't heard he signed anywhere. And apparently this this kid, he was probably a kid, like a teenager, friend of your family or something, he, he, he tweeted, oh, our, our friend Chad Durbin's going to re-sign with the Phillies. And she just happened to catch it. So then anyway, uh, you know, I, I'm poking around I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I'm going to run with this. So uh, she, she writes him. He gets scared, deletes the tweet, blocks her. 
then I then I then I reach out to him. He blocks me. <laughs> so, so I don't know who this uh, teenager was. He's probably in his mid twenties now at this point. But uh, I think he was so scared he let something out of the bag he wasn't supposed to. But uh, you know, the news broke from someone from your family, Chad. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah, I have uh, I have you know cousins in all parts of the country that you know they get excited about uh, all of it and maybe hear somebody talking about it. I I didn't know where I, it. Two thousand eleven. And 2013 were just a weird processes and uh, you'd hear something and, and think about it and talk about it with somebody. And then the, you forget that there's social media accounts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where people can push it out there immediately and maybe get some extra followers for it. But yeah, I, that's all a blur. I'll be honest. I, you know, talking to, to you know, Ruben uh, Amaro at the time and trying to figure out what good fits or, you know, where, where to be had. I was excited to be back in Philly. I, uh, um, I, I should have in, in retrospect, I should have probably taken some time, you know, taken a month off, gone back to maybe Lehigh Valley because I was still my arm. My arm still feels good. I'm toward I cannot throw like I did, but my arms, it always felt good. It was more of a the fatigue of being, you know, 08, 9, 10. That was so much fun and then going to Cleveland and 12 with the Braves was awesome. I mean, it was really fun to be around that bullpen and that team uh, and then back in Philly in 13 and then. I just think I hit a mental wall and looking at it, I was 35. I thought I was old. I was, I was a baby still when I look at <laughs> who I am now, but yeah, that's a, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, I forget hey, uh, social media is such a big piece of this now. And <laughs> I could see that poor, I don't know who it was. I couldn't tell you which family member it was, but uh, you know, yeah. So if you ever hear both, that on the other end, it was me that, that, <laughs> that, that, that happened. Uh, post, post and ghost, right? You post yeah. it and, ghosted <laughs> definitely so so tell us chad so where do we find you where do we find your podcast tell us all all you're up to sure derbs on phillies uh in the east uh so i'll be covering uh the phillies uh probably four or five times a week talk about the east and some big like machado getting tossed out yesterday i talked about it briefly i did uh, i did about a 20 minute podcast right before we jumped on um it's on spotify it's on apple um you know podcasts you can find it, you know, probably hitting the Google machine and getting there. But um, I listen to my own to critique myself on Spotify right now. And uh, it'll slowly grow, grow from that. We'll have a YouTube channel where I am doing it on video and, and you know, trying to be Ben Verlander. Justin's mm-hmm. little brother does a great job, man. I, he, he kills nice. it. And uh, I talked to him beforehand and he, he gave me a bunch of advice, said, uh, you know, bigger piece of this is him, you know, post-production and pre-production you know, really figuring out what he wants to post, how he wants to cover these stories and, you know, what energizes him. What, when you I mean, if he's energized about it, then who he's talking to is going to be energized as well. So I'm learning as I go. Uh, but yeah, Derb's on, uh, um, you know, it's kind of, if I want to cover something else, if it's Derb's on Philly sports, if it's Derb's on LSU baseball, whatever it is. But the idea was, you know, that's, that's what I go by. That's my, you know, my alter ego. Um, it's the guy that used to be good at, at baseball. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, find it on Spotify, find it on Apple and, um, I'll have social, I have social media accounts, um, Instagram, Derbs on Phillies, Twitter, Derbs on Phillies. So trying to slowly creep into that world. And again, I was there, I was early on Twitter, um, you know, 08, nine and 10, all the guys are looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's Twitter. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just send a text message basically to anybody that wants to hear it. And if they don't want to hear it, they unfollow you. It's really cool. Um, and now all of them are on it and you know, it, it's part of their world. So, but yeah, I, I, 
anytime I can come on here and, and, you know, give you 10 minutes of or 20 minutes of time. I'm happy to do that. I would love to have y'all on the show as I get rolling. It might not be worth it with you know, the amount of subs that I'll have in the first couple of weeks, but it'll grow and would love to have y'all on, especially as we creep into um, other parts of, of the Phillies, uh, I mean, not just Phillies, but Philadelphia sports scene. Sixers are doing great. You know, the Eagles are going to be fun to cover as they get into camp. And and I'm not going to do that on my show. It's going to be on the Phillies. But anytime you can drop some Eagles bombs on somebody, you know, and the listeners aren't going to hate it, right? <laughs> no, not here. No, not Phillies listeners. No not way. Not right now. Not when they're going well. <laughs> well, Chad, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to catching you again. All right, guys. I really appreciate it, Jeff. Frank, you, thank Jeff. you. And... Chad Durbin, everybody, he loves to talk so and loves to talk sports. So I, I th- he's a really great follow. Uh, very few Twitter followers at this point. So Durbs on Phillies, make sure you give him a follow. Uh, really interesting to listen to him tell his stories. And so, Jeff, let's uh, before we close, let's take a look at the uh, the week ahead. So after the Phillies close with the Yankees today, mm-hmm. uh, they head home right to the friendly confines of Citizens Bank Park. So you got to like. You got to like their upcoming schedule, right? So they 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 kind of had two tough opponents, right? You know, yeah. as, as Chad was saying, you know, Bruce Bochy had his team ready, and right. so any of that World Series hangover stuff, you know, hopefully they can, once they get home, they can shake a lot of that off. And you know, they have three against the Reds, three against the Marlins at home, and then mm-hmm. they go to Cincinnati and play the Reds. So uh, this is this is a time where they can easily erase memories of that zero and four start. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, the Reds are off to a decent start. And uh, they were one of my teams, I remember, when we did our MLB preview. You sure did. Um, that I that I thought would be better, you know, meaning like getting ready to be a 500 team. And, and that's sort of what they are right now. So, uh, and we know the history of the Phillies early season, you know, struggles against teams like them and the Marlins. But I, I do think, you know, obviously you're coming home um, and you've got, you know, winnable games. I also thought the Rangers would be an improved team and they, and they showed that. Although I think that was really more Frank, the Phillies just playing bad baseball, the pitchers not being ready for the season. In fact, were you a little surprised to see Soto out? Wasn't he like three weeks late to camp? Because yeah, well, you know what? If he's on the roster, they got to use him. I mean, yeah, I guess he, so. He I just didn't know they were going to use him that early at that point. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was curious. I thought that actually, I, I thought more that they would save him further back in the game correct but um i don't know maybe they thought that hey here's a middle inning to get his feet wet after after the delay but you know you definitely see you definitely see with nolan wheeler as chad was saying their their offseason was way different i mean so normally they were used to going home at the end of september Mm -hmm. and they got their rest and then they picked it up you know probably a lot sooner last year so when you talk about the pitching staff not being ready i mean they had to rest after after that long World Series run, right? So right. Uh, that kind of threw off their their usual. So maybe they just need to make this their new usual. Yeah, uh, maybe so. So we'll see. I just think that you know, you come home, you you probably have a, a better shot at picking things up and um, turning it around. And and it, it was we, we knew from the start, right, that it was a tough opening six because you're playing a Rangers team that you haven't beaten in seemingly like three years. What was it? Oh, and twelve now they are against the Rangers. <laughs> yes, um, in the last twelve <laughs> games, and then you got to go face the Yankees for their, you know, at, at, at in the Bronx. So that that was that was tough. Uh, so you know, I, I imagine, I hope, our when we by the time we do our next podcast next week, that we're not sitting here like really talking about another April early season doldrums. I, I think the makings are here for them to sort of get back to their routine and, and turn it around a little bit. 
Well, the good news is the Phillies will be done with the Texas Rangers <laughs> for the rest of the year. That is so, great. Sands a World Series appearance, appearance uh, then they're in a good spot. So, yeah. So they're out of the way. Uh, and as you said, very improved. Yankees, of course, meant to be good. So, uh, you know, you might be listening to this as the Phillies are playing or after they played, but the Phillies are set to take on Garrett Cole, which is going to be a tough one. But hey, Jeff, they mm-hmm. got they have the bats. I know I, I don't like hearing that they're just writing off the Phillies against Garrett Cole. I mean, maybe this is one of those things that they can rally and the vets say, "All right, well, you know, we're we're good. We're good at hitting. <laughs> let's just let's yeah. just take this home on a positive note." And by the way, I was really happy to see Alec Boehm quickly moved up to third. From mm. seven in the lineup. Now, I, I, that was um, that was game two against the Yankees, a right-handed pitcher. So it may, everything you know makes sense with how they were putting the lineup together. But I hope that that we we see that a little bit more because you want to capitalize on how well he has been hitting the ball, not just in spring, but also now early in the season. Yeah, back 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 to the seven hole today. I mean, I think that, I think maybe yeah. this is an indication that when JT Realmuto has his day off, maybe Bohm will be the one to slot in there. So, uh, so, so temporary as it was, I mean, mm-hmm. but, but boom, still, still hit the cover off the ball. And yeah, uh, I think it, if he continues, they'll, they'll, he'll have to enter the discussion as staying in, in, in the, that hole, you know, I mean, it, uh, you can't, if he's with Harper out, if he's going to be this good of a hitter, I mean, you've got to have him in there. And I'm cool with JT Romuto hitting fourth behind him, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, that'll help protect him a little bit in the order more than say the eighth hole hitter because right now he's got Jake Cave hitting behind him, right? So imagine hitting that well when the person behind you isn't so so much a threat yet. Although Jake Cave finally got his first uh, hits this season, so yeah, so, and he he had some hard outs against the Reds. It's not like he was looking terrible, you know. I, I I thought it was he was going to come through a little bit. Yeah, and Schwarber his, his struggles went away with that big home run that that as Chad was saying set the tone. So you know, I I think this is. Uh, I, I think we, we saw that that anxiety more than anything. I mean, if you look up and down the Phillies' batting averages, like you got to wonder why they were they were zero and four, right? You know, heading yeah. into yesterday's game, you know, you know, Castellanos had a bunch of hits, although the last couple games were quiet. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Hall, but I mean, they, but yeah, but you got Turner, Stott, and Bohm all hitting around four hundred right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all good. That's pretty good. They're all yeah. They're all doing pretty well. You got to imagine this is going to work itself work itself out but yeah hey, the lineup wasn't the, the pitching to me was was really has to turn around i yeah. expect the lineup to be better yeah and i expect nolan wheeler to be better as well so i was really encouraged by strom i know i kind of had him as my sleeper as the guy that's going to take a rotation spot and run with it he he exceeded my expectations for yesterday giving them four yeah uh, i thought he might they'd be happy to get three and maybe a run or two but hey he, he really stepped up and so i'm really looking forward to see how he's going to do uh, in, in that spot for a while. He's got a few more weeks before Ranger Suarez comes back. Uh, Phillies don't plan to just throw him right in. They're going to let him rehab, probably stretch him out at AAA. And so, uh, we'll, you know, we'll we'll see what he can do in these few weeks that he has. But, Jeff, Phillies home opener tomorrow. There's some thunderstorms in the forecast. So, you know, so if it's not tomorrow, it'll be Friday. They left, they left Friday open, so that could yep. happen. But it'd be really nice to see baseball back in the city of Philadelphia. Can't wait, man. It's going to be awesome. And we'll be with you all season to talk about it. Many thanks to Chad Durbin for joining us today. This has been the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher. We will catch you next time.